Welcome to the 5-Minute Bible Study Podcast. This ain't your grandma's podcast. Nobody actually likes the turkey at Thanksgiving. Why do we do this to ourselves? Why do we make it the front and center entree of the whole Thanksgiving dinner? Happy late Thanksgiving, everyone. I said the truth. I'll keep speaking the truth on the 5-Minute Bible Study Podcast. You're here with Aaron Batty, your host. Let's go. Um, This episode is brought to you, as always, by 5MinuteBibleStudy.com. Go check it out. And this week, I'm promoing the books that we have for sale. I have two in print that I have copies of and I can sell to you, but I've produced three books self-published on 5-Minute Bible Study. One I referenced in that it was the Christian and Alcohol. That's the name of the book. So if you want a copy of that, I do have copies that I can send to you. They are $5 a piece. <laughs> a piece. Then there is How to Understand the Bible, which is a student workbook that gives you several lessons that you need to know about how to approach Bible study. There's also one that I wrote last year, I think it was, How to Identify the Church, where the Bible has to say about the church and what first century Christianity looks like. Those three books I have produced, they are for sale. They're $5 a piece. If you want to get a preview of these books, go to the website. There's a drop-down menu at the top. Pull it down, and there should be a books page. Enough with that. Let's get on to today's episode. Sorry. Um, We are going to go through our normal lineup. There's going to be a Bible story on Elisha and the Shunammite woman. This is a really good one. You'll be wanting to stick around for this. Uh, Then the main dish this week is going to be about accountability. And this is the first episode where we do a Q&A segment. Somebody submitted a question, and we're going to take our main dish segment and turn it into answering that question. This is really about what is accountability? Why is it important? A lot of people talk about accountability in terms of overcoming sin. We're going to talk about today. What do you need to know as an accountability partner? That's the big one. And really, what is your what does the person coming to you need to know as well? So we're going to address that one. I think this is a good topic to talk about. It's going to be about a 30-minute segment, and then we're going to end on a foot and mouth syndrome story. And this one is this is probably the funniest one yet. Something I said in the pulpit preaching at Chapel Grove that uh, had somebody falling out in the floor with laughter. Ah, stick around for that one at the end on this episode of the 5-Minute Bible City Podcast. And that donkey got up not too far away from that angel of the Lord. Send me a man to fight with me. Esau, let me tell you a story that will prove to you that I can defeat that giant. And he said, no, I can't do that. You're my master's wife. Welcome back to 5-Minute Bible Stories. Today we are telling the story of Elisha and the Shunammite woman. This is found in 2 Kings chapter 4, if any of you guys want to go look this up and read it to verify the story and the facts that I'm dropping on you today. Okay, a really fun story here. Um, it's a story about resurrection, really. It happened one time that Elisha the prophet, not Elijah, don't get it mixed up with Elijah, Elisha, went to Shunem. And it says there was a woman there, and she was a Shunammite. That's where the name, the Shunammite woman, comes from. Uh, anyways, he came to this woman's, he would travel through the area, and this woman was a very hospitable woman. Think about like somebody, a lady at your church, who is just the most hospitable lady you know. 
She is the most pious woman you know. She does good for so many people, finding all the opportunities she can to help out. Well, this is that woman. And she would talk to her husband because Elisha would come through there regularly on his preaching journeys, as you might compare it to. And she told her husband, listen, I know this guy, Elisha, he's a holy man of God. He comes through here all the time. Let's make him a bedroom. We have an upper room space. Let's remodel it. Uh, let's get a table up there, some chairs, put a lamp there. And anytime he comes through, he can stay with us. And so that's what they did. And it happened one day that Elisha came through there, and he had a servant named Gehazi. That's how I pronounce it. And he told his servant, you know what? This woman, the Shunammite woman, has been so good to us, Gehazi. I want you to go to this woman and see if there's anything that we can do for her. So Gehazi goes and talks to her and says, can we speak to the king on your behalf? Is there anything that we can do for you, Miss Shunammite woman? <laughs> doesn't give her name. And she says, basically, no, no, no. And so Gehazi comes back to Elisha, and he says, you know, she said, there's nothing we can do. And he said, Gehazi, go back to her and, and, and tell her, to, come here, tell her to come here. And so she comes to Elisha's room or wherever he was, and she says, well, my Lord, I, I've ne I don't have a son. And she had wanted a child for a long time, but she'd never been able to have one. And so Elisha said, that's it. This time next year, you're going to be hugging a son. And she said, please, sir, don't lie to me. Please don't deceive me. And he said, no, 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 no. This time next year, you're going to have a son. Well, guess what happened? That time next year, she had a son. And the story goes on that this son grew up a little bit. I don't, doesn't say how old he was. Maybe he was a toddler. Sounds like maybe he was a toddler or maybe just a little bit older than that, a young boy. And it says that he was out in the field with his father, with the reapers. And then he just started crying out all of a sudden, my head, my head. Ah! And I can imagine, you know, this kid may have been a, <laughs> sorry, uh, this kid may have been a brat always whining all the time. The daddy goes over there and he's like, okay, what is it this time, Johnny? Or uh, whatever whatever his name was, Zach Zacchaeus. What's it this time? But then he just falls over and he's dead. And he's like, oh no. And he takes him to his mother and his mother's just, just everything takes out of her. And she thinks, what am I going to do? My only son is dead. And she, she says, here's an idea. Elisha isn't here, but I'm going to take him and I'm going to put him on Elisha's bed and maybe just the holiness of Elisha from having slept on those sheets will bring my son back to life. And so that's what she does, but nothing. And so she tells her husband, go get one of the servants, tell him to saddle one of the donkeys right now, and I'm going to go to Elisha. And he says, but honey, why are you doing this tonight? He literally says, it's neither the new moon nor the Sabbath. And she says, It'll, it, it is well. It will be okay. And so he gets a donkey, saddles it, and sends one of the servants. And she says, ride. Ride as fast as you can to Elisha. And so they go to the man of God, Elisha, at Mount Carmel. And the Bible says it was when she was afar off, the man of God, Elisha, saw her and said to his servant, Gehazi, look, the Shunammite woman, go run to meet her and see what she needs. 
and ask her, is it well with the husband and with your child? And so he goes, and the funny thing is that the woman tells Gehazi it is well when it wasn't. I don't know what that's about. But she finally, I think she just wanted to talk to Elisha herself. And so she gets there finally to Elisha, and she falls down and grasps him by the ankles, and Gehazi reaches to pull her away. This is inappropriate, Gehazi, I think. He's mol- she's molesting him. But Elisha says, listen, don't, don't push her away. Let her be. There's obviously something that's gone wrong, and the Lord has hidden it from me. I don't know. Let's listen to what she's got to tell us. So she says, did I ask a son for my Lord? Did I not ask for a son? And did you not deceive me? And what she's really saying is, you gave me a son, but now he's dead. So I wish you hadn't even given me a son Then for this to happen. Can't you do something about this? And she's weeping and crying. And Elisha says to Gehazi, get yourself ready. Take my staff in your hand. I'm going to go with the woman back to where her son is lying. You go ahead of us and lay my staff across the boy's body. Gehazi goes ahead. Elisha takes his time with the mother, and they end up starting their trek back to the house, which is some time. When the Gehazi gets there and lays the staff across the boy's body, nothing happens. And when Elisha, Elisha came into the house, uh, there was the child laying on his bed, lying just cold, stone dead. And he went in there by himself. He shut the door behind. He prayed to the Lord. You can imagine what he prayed. And then he got on the bed. He laid on the child. He put his mouth at the boy's mouth. He put his eyes on the boy's eyes. He put his hands on the boy's hands. He stretched him out, himself out across the child, the Bible says. And then the flesh of the child became warm. Now, he didn't jump out of bed. It just says that his flesh became warm. Elisha gets up and he walks outside. He goes back in the room. He shuts the door. He does the same thing. He lays across the child, eye to eye, hand to hand, mouth to mouth, and he breathes into the child. It doesn't say he actually breathed in the child, but you can imagine this happening. And then, then the child, it says he sneezed seven times. He sneezed seven times. He opened his eyes. And then Elisha called for Gehazi and said, call the Shunammite woman, call her now. So he called her, and when she came in, he, Elisha told her, he said, pick up your son. And she picked up her son. He was warm, and his eyes were open, and he was breathing, and all was well again. Amazing miracle. This is a, we can think, a preview of the resurrection that's to come uh, and the miraculous birth that is to come in our Savior Jesus Christ. Great story. I hope you enjoyed it. Come back next time for more Bible stories. This episode is brought to you by Sheep's Clothing Incorporated. Maybe you're a preacher needing a new wardrobe, but you also need help pulling the fleece over the congregation's eyes. We can meet all your needs in one. We sell designer sheepskin suits that will have you looking soft, innocent, and approachable. When your slacks are without spot or blemish, you don't have to worry about using scripture in context or using any scripture at all for that matter. Hide that soul-snatching, heart-deceiving gospel of yours behind 100% wool. Go to Sheep's Clothing fakenews.com to check out our inventory. Welcome back to the main dish. This is our first Q&A segment on the 5-Minute Bible Study Podcast, and we are talking about accountability today. Talking all about it from both angles. If you're somebody that needs accountability, 
there's going to be stuff in here that you need to hear. And if you're somebody that's been asked to be an accountability partner, this is for you too. I recently had somebody come to me and ask me, Aaron, what do you do when somebody tells you they have a sin that they need help with beating? And they come to you for help. Somebody had obviously come to this person asking the question. I had never really kind of spelled out the things that I consider and I walk through in my own mind when I've been approached about a personal sin in an individual's life and, and how to overcome that. One of the things, depending on the nature of a sin, and in the example that I am going to stay focused on today because it's very prominent, is sexual sin. Okay, Since I've been giving this sermon that I've given three times now recently on sexual sin, uh, it's not just on sexual sin, but it's called The Immoral Woman. If you want to watch the sermon, it's on YouTube, on the Chapel Grove Church of Christ YouTube page. But it's all about sexual sin and the type of people that you pursue. The immoral woman representing bad, evil, wicked women who major on lust in order to draw you into their clutches. Go watch the sermon. We're not going to talk about that anymore. But we are going to focus on the aspect that I touch on late in that sermon, which is the sin of pornography, the sin of sexual lust. A lot of people deal with this, and so let's use this as a good example of how do you be a good accountability partner when it comes to the sin of pornography and sexual lust. We're also going to need some names for people because it gets very confusing when I'm talking about when the person comes to you and it's we're not sure, like are we talking about the accountability partner or the person needing help with a sin? So let's just use the accountability partner in this example that we're going to use throughout this study as Aaron. We're going to call him Aaron. Aaron's the accountability partner, and for no better name, I'm going to go with Adam. No, that's two A's. Let's go with um, let's go with Cletus. <laughs> I, I've been uh, my Cletus is the name that I use for really redneck people. Uh, if I don't know their name, I just call them Cletus, not to like to their face, <laughs> but uh, you know, Cletus is the standard classic redneck name. So Cletus has come to me. He needs some help. He is just drowning in sexual sin. He is looking at pornography multiple times a day. He's come to me. He heard my sermon and he says, Aaron, I need help with this. And so this is some stuff that we want to consider. Let's look at a couple of passages before we get started. This isn't going to make, this is, I don't know. I have a difficulty deciding whether I call this one a Bible study or not, because we're not looking at a text and explaining that text um, in that sense, it's not a Bible study, really. But we are taking some texts of Scripture that will help open our eyes to what the Bible at least has to offer to this subject. Because there is no story in the Bible where somebody comes to Paul and says, Paul, help me overcome this sexual sin. And he says, well, here's what you need to know about accountability, right? But there are some passages to consider on the issue. Psalm 90 and verse 8 is the first one that I would look at. And it says, this is the psalmist talking to God. You, God, have set our iniquities before you. Our secret sins are in the light of your countenance. That's a great verse because what it's basically saying, and the reason I'm reading this, is that ultimately we are all accountable to God. God knows everything that we're doing and even what we're thinking. There is nothing, even our secret sins, that nobody else knows about are in the light of God's eyesight. Uh, Matthew chapter 10, verse 26 takes it a little bit further when it says there, For there is nothing covered that will not be revealed, and there is nothing hidden that will not be known. 
He's talking about in the end day judgment, all things that you thought were secret, all things that you kept to yourself, and you died in those sins because you didn't want to be vulnerable to somebody else. You're vulnerable to God. God knows about it. There is absolutely no reason why you should take secret sins to the grave because they will be revealed one day, is what Jesus is saying. And people already know about it anyway. People being God, the Father, God the Son, the God the Holy Spirit, they know about it. Now, if I were to define accountability, getting back to the main dish here, if I were to define accountability, I really like the definition. I got this off of Covenant Eyes, an article that I found on there. The article wasn't that great, but did give a good definition of accountability. So simple here, you couldn't get more simple. Accountability means giving an account. Okay, so you got Cletus comes to Aaron, and he gives an account to Aaron of the things that he has done in the last 24 hours. They've had a partnership agreement that I'm going to tell you, Cletus is going to tell Aaron everything that he has done, and so he does that. He gives an account of it. He gives a full account of it. He doesn't hold anything back. All of these secret sins are laid out in front of Aaron. He knows about all of them. And they're all revealed to him so that he can help Cletus overcome this. I'm sorry. Uh, maybe I should have picked a different name. This whole this Cletus name is cracking me up. Now, besides that, that's what it is. But a reason why you should pursue accountability with somebody, if you have a sin that you are struggling with, meaning that you are actively trying to fight against it and you're not having success because you're still struggling with it, indicating you haven't overcome it yet, consider Proverbs chapter 28 and verse 13. It says, He who covers his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. Great verse. I love Proverbs. Let's read it again. He who covers his sins will not prosper. Not that he probably won't. The odds are stacked against him. He's not going to prosper. That's what he says. It's a de facto statement. But whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. Ah, and that is what accountability is. It's confessing your sins to somebody else. In this case, it's sins. And forsaking them. And that person hopefully has mercy on you, but ultimately we're talking about God having mercy on you because you did what you needed to do. You, you went to the point of embarrassment. This is an embarrassing act, making yourself vulnerable like this, and you're going to get help, and ultimately you get mercy from God because you have overcome this work of the flesh that has infiltrated your life. Now, most people don't have the internal self-control and mental fortitude to overcome secret sin, on their own at least. And they, they need an outside force to help motivate them, to instruct them, to remind them regularly of what they need to be doing. That's the key to accountability. That's why uh, we advocate for accountability in our lives. We want it. And if we could live every moment of our lives, you know, in light of, conscious of Psalm 90 and verse 8 that we talked about above, the secret things, our secret sins are in the light of God's consciousness, um, Matthew 10 and verse 26, there's nothing covered that will not be revealed. If we could live every second of every day with those passages on the very front of our mind, then God's presence alone and God's omniscience, his uh, knowledge of everything in our mind, that would probably be enough to motivate and instruct and remind the God-fearing Christian in, in overcoming their sin. But the problem is that our faith is not always up to par the truths of those passages. We know that they're there. We know what they say. But will we really believe it? Uh, that's really indicative of our faith, what, how much that alone motivates, instructs, and reminds us. 
And so a lot of times, I'm not saying you're necessarily a weak Christian because you need an outside help. It's a strong action of you, really, to seek outside help. It's weak people that don't seek outside help when they're struggling with a sin monotonously. It's a strong act. It's a, it's a sign of mental strength and, and Christian strength to go to somebody and say, I need help. So do not think of it in any type of a bad way. The reason it takes a strong mind to do this is because it is embarrassing. I've said it before. It requires vulnerability. It's going to require taking on risk, which I'll touch on later. But if you think about you know, why accountability and you think about children and their parents, this is a why accountability is effective, I believe. Whenever children have parents that they trust and that they respect, they want the approval of their parents. And that's why we reinforce, I, I say we, that's why we should reinforce positive affirmation, words of affirmation to children. I'm not saying overdo it, because you can overdo anything. any Too much of a good thing, whatever that thing is, is too much, and it's a bad thing. But children do need words of affirmation to know that the person that they trust and respect approves of them. When they get this sense that their parents don't approve of them, they might act out to get their attention and to get their approval, which really just turns up on their head. Um, it can be the how parents respond can be a bad thing or a good thing, but it's just a part of nature that children want the approval of people they trust and respect, and so do adults. We act like it's just children, maybe, but adults want approval from the people they trust, and the people they trust are the ones that they're going to go to for help and for accountability in this case. And so it's very important how you respond to them. Uh, one of the key aspects is that an essential part of your role as an accountability partner, Aaron's responsibility to Cletus, is that he has to be encouraging to him. He has to approve of him whenever he does good and exhort him whenever he doesn't meet the goals that he set forth. Okay, we'll get more into that as we go along. But these are this is why accountability is helpful because you have somebody that you should trust and respect that will approve you whenever you're doing what you should be doing and will disapprove you whenever you don't do what you should be doing. And even then, it will be a constructive disapproval, right? And that will hopefully be the motivation you need. So when we get into now the rules of accountability, this is the first thing that I start with. First thing that I tell people, and I try to emphasize this from the pulpit when I'm preaching that sermon earlier or when I'm touching on this subject, if you are somebody that's struggling, again, with sexual sin in this case, with pornography, and you want to overcome this sin, please do not tell me you have a problem and you want help unless you are willing to do anything and everything to overcome that sin. Okay, I want to reemphasize this now for you on the podcast listening. Do not tell me you have a problem with sexual sin and you want help unless you're willing to do anything and everything to overcome the sin. You may not have to do everything to overcome this sin, but you have to be willing to do everything, which means be radical about over about uh, discipline. Matthew 5 and verse 29, Jesus is saying you've got to be radical about sin in order to enter the kingdom of heaven. He says, if your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you, for it's more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. That's right. 
You got to be radical about this in your mind. And you're so sick of this sin. You hate this sin so much. There is not anything, Aaron, that you would ask of me that I would not do if it means getting over this sin. That's where you've got to be. That's the state of mind you got to get to. And if you aren't there yet, get there. I would encourage you, if you're an accountability partner, if somebody has asked you to be their accountability partner, you set this rule on the table and you do not budge. If somebody's halfway, then you just need to encourage them, hey, you've got to get in a frame of mind where you hate this sin so much you'll do anything. to Come back then. Come back then and I will be more than happy to help you. But until you do, what you're really doing, you're risking the relationship. This person's already risked the relationship by telling you they have this problem. They don't know how you're going to react, but they trust you and respect you enough to have a good idea how you're going to react. Okay, you didn't blow up in their face. And so step one, great. Step two is there's a risk on this relationship of how it will develop based off of how this person follows through the person Cletus how Cletus follows through if he doesn't do what he needs to do but he's asked for help it's going to frustrate Aaron when that person doesn't uh, do what they committed to when they don't do everything they keep making the same mistakes uh, it's been identified what the problem is they just aren't willing to give up maybe internet they're not willing to give up internet that's going to frustrate Aaron so much that he's going to eventually uh, give up on this person, and it's going to cause a strain in the relationship. It's going to be awkward walking around each other uh, when they interact at church or uh, wherever they interact at. And so that's why, up front, you just need to put this on the table. We can be friends and not go through this, but we could go through this and possibly end up not being friends, not because of something that I plan on doing, but just as a natural result of the process of not uh, establishing the right ground rules to begin with. Got to set the ground rule to be radical, and we're going to do whatever we got to do, okay? So we got that up front. Once that's established, here's some things that accountability involves. And I've touched around some of these already, but let's just walk through them one by one. I have four things that accountability is or requires. First off, accountability assumes risk. So I just talked about this. It assumes risk on the person needing help. He's risking his dignity at the hands of Aaron, the accountability partner, when he tells him all the secret sins. That's embarrassing. And then it assumes risk on the part of the person helping Aaron. He's going to have to share things that are hard to swallow. And so he's taking risk every single time that he shares the information with Cletus that's hard to swallow. And he knows it's hard to swallow. It's not going to be what he wants to hear, but he needs to hear it. That's going to involve risk every single time on Aaron's part to have to share that information. Okay? So, number one, accountability assumes risk. And you've got to do the uncomfortable. Number two, accountability must be honest. It must be honest from both sides. Cletus has got to be 100% on the table, cards on the table, pockets empty, uh, if this is going to work. So Cletus and Aaron, they both, they've got to be uh, honest with each other. If Cletus is holding stuff back, then the whole point of accountability, you're not giving an account. When we say that accountability is giving an account, it's giving a full account. Like I said, laying all the cards on the table. And if he's not honest, then this is not doing him any good. What is this? It's not accountability. I don't know what you call it. And if Aaron's not willing to be completely honest with Cletus... Back to the point, saying the hard things that are going to hurt. Uh, when he says, Cletus, 
you're being hard-headed. You know, this is on week five. And he, he's been told four or five different times, you got to stop going to the movies. Every time you go to the movies, you go to a bad movie in the moment, you make a wrong decision, or you got to stop hanging out with these friends because these friends keep showing you porn. You've got to stop that. And he doesn't listen. Aaron's not going to want to tell him because he knows that Cletus doesn't want to hear it, but he's got to be honest. So it takes honesty on both sides. It sounds really weird for me to keep saying Aaron, but I've already committed to that one too. <laughs> I'm This Aaron, not me, a different Aaron, okay? So you don't think I'm talking about myself in the third person. I'm not, I do talk to myself a lot when I'm at home alone, but I don't talk to myself in the third person or about myself in the third person. Let's go on though. Number one, accountability assumes risk on both people. Accountability must be honest, 100, as they say. Number three, accountability must be consistent. And this is, this, I don't know, you know, I get in the habit of saying this is the most important thing. But consistency without honesty, really, honesty in that case would be the most important thing. But honesty without consistency, well, then consistency is the most important thing. I don't know that any one is more important. They're all so essential consistency, so key. Accountability is not a one and done type of thing. You don't go and tell your accountability partner your sins and then I feel great. I got it off my chest. Uh, Somebody else knows about it, but nothing's actually done. It's got to be consistent. You got to commit to, at the very early stages, when we're talking about pornography addiction, we're talking about every single day not every other day, or not six out of the seven days of the week, when we're first trying to break the habit, every single day, consistently, every day, reporting to your accountability partner. Cletus has got to go to Aaron every single day and text him, or Aaron's got to be texting Cletus, and it works best if the person that has the problem is the one initiating the conversation every day. Okay, because that's... That, reinforces to your accountability partner that you are still motivated. And that's proven whenever you're the one reaching out. That is proven even more when you're the one reaching out first, telling your accountability partner, look, I looked on a bad website today. And you told them without them even having to ask. That builds rapport. That builds trust. And that's going to help the relationship. So be consistent. Starting out every single day. Once you've built a habit, you can cut that back to maybe once every other day, and then maybe once, maybe two times a week, maybe once a week, maybe, maybe, uh, I wouldn't really, for several months at least, I would keep that the bare minimum once a week. And until you've built a, a habit of about somewhere in the range of from one to two months where you have not looked at pornography then that is when I believe it's okay to start cutting it back to a couple times a week. And then after you maybe gotten that habit to four or five months, then maybe once a week. But it's going to take a while for you to, to really cut back to less than that. That's my recommendation. That consistency is going to be key. Uh, and then perhaps for even some time, maybe once you feel like gotten this have it broken for uh, maybe a year or two, then cut back to once every few months and there's still that consistency of, you know, every three or four months, Aaron's going to call me, Aaron's going to text me and say, how you doing? Because he who thinks he stands, take heed, 
lest he fall, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And so uh, consistency is key. Number four, accountability involves problem solving. So this is really speaking to the accountability partner. This is something that you need to know about. It requires problem solving. When the person falls and they fall back into uh, even a singular time, they look at pornography in this case, they need to understand what led them to look at that website again or watch this movie. What led them to do that? The why question is what we're asking here. Problem solve. Um, you know, there's a lot of times inconspicuous triggers that people don't realize, and it takes somebody from the outside to process the information and realize, ah, you know what I realized? It's in the evening times that it always happens. It's when you, you're by yourself in the evening times. It's when you're by yourself on your phone in the evening times. It's when you're by yourself on your phone on Facebook in the evening times that you there's this picture or there's this link that you always, it's there, it's tempting you, and you always click on it. Okay, the answer to that, you've problem solved. You say, listen, it would be better for you just not to have Facebook. There's no good reason. By the way, <laughs> this is kind of sidestepping, but first thing, if you have a pornography addiction, you need to be getting rid of all your social media. Talking about doing everything you got to do. But uh, you can avoid that if you get a accountability software. But even then, even with an accountability software, I would say there are most social media accounts you need to just get rid of. You can get them back later once you've build, built more character and all that. But let's not get off on a tangent, okay? Back to problem solving. So you get the idea. Um, you need to realize what are the small things that stimulate you? It might even be that you're watching movies. There's a lot of PG-13 movies that are sexually stimulating that you don't realize until you start starving your eyes. By that, I mean cutting out anything that stimulates you whatsoever. And then you realize a bunch of these PG-13 movies that you're watching, yeah, they're not pornography, but they there's a lot there that's unclean and it's unfit to be watching because even that small stuff gets you to thinking about these mental images that you have in the in the depths of your brain and now they come forward and then they get you to wanting something more and they get you to really craving now the hard stuff. That's what happens. Those little inconspicuous triggers, that's the kind of stuff that you as the accountability partner Aaron's got to help Cletus identify those anytime that he sins. So basically that comes down to whenever Cletus says, oh man, you know, I sinned today. I went on this website. I looked at this. You know, what were you doing when it happened? When did you do this? Uh, and you start maybe taking a little mental note and putting those together and then realizing, okay, here's some common denominators. So that's what's really going to help the person that needs that needs help. Okay, that's four things that I think accountability is or involves. It, it requires, it assumes risk. It must be honest. It must be consistent. And it involves problem solving. It must involve problem solving to really make progress. A couple of things I'd like to throw in here at the end. We're almost done. Um, the weight of responsibility in this relationship, this partnership between these two people, it is on the individual who's asked for help. Okay. Really, there is some responsibility, obviously, on the accountability partner. But when Cletus comes to Aaron, the weight of the responsibility strongly rests on Cletus, okay? When I say there's responsibility on the accountability partner's part, I mean 
He has to be consistent. He has to be honest. And he has to be encouraging. Verbal affirmation. That's very important. As much as you know, might think it's a sissy thing to do and all that, verbal affirmation is very important into in motivating this person and keeping them faithful. But assuming that he's done all these things, the 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 person you know can be led to Cletus can be led to water, but Aaron can't make him drink. So I can't overcome this sin for you, Cletus. You've got to do the heavy lifting. I can only lead you to the water and make sure that you're not veering off trail, right? But you got to actually do the heavy lifting. And drink the water. And so if you're the one seeking help and your partner is offering help, but you won't follow their advice or their admonitions, the helper is not responsible, okay? And if the person seeking help continues to be indifferent to the exhortations, the encouragement that he's receiving, and so on, it's in his or her best interest. In this case, Cletus's best interest. It's in his best interest if the accountability partner says, There's nothing I can do for you right now. You're 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 not cooperating. You're not doing what we agreed to from the beginning. And there's nothing I can do for you until you decide you're going to help yourself. So for for now, I'm going to withdraw from the situation here. I'm going to withdraw from being your accountability partner. And when you decide that you actually want to change, let me know. And I'll be more than happy to help you you whenever that time comes. But this is a hard decision to come to. But once you start getting frustrated with this person after multiple uh, signs and symptoms of just indifference and and reverting uh, in, a, in a bad way, then that's when you've got to make this hard call. And, and this might risk the relationship, but this is for that person's own good, let me tell you. Another thing I would say real quick is accountability does not mean complete immunity. Now, we're talking about sexual sin here, and I, there are some situations where you know you might need to tell other people when we're talking about pornography addictions. Generally, though, pornography addiction, it's not something that you're going to need to, to go out, I have to tell somebody else that you have this problem, Cletus. Generally, no. I mean, that's something that you can keep between yourselves. But a lot of times, there's like there's like young people who want to confide in older people that they trust. Like maybe older, but not like super old. <laughs> Usually, young people want to confide in somebody close to their age. And so they go to somebody that's not their parent or maybe a friend and they want to spill the beans to them. That's great, but they want full immunity. They want to spill the beans without any consequences for the information they're about to drop on Aaron or somebody else. You got to understand that as an accountability partner, I'm talking to you now, you cannot offer complete immunity because there are some things that you cannot keep to yourself. Like, for example, if there's a young person and he's having a sexual relationship with with a girl and he's come and told you this and his parents don't know about it you're not that kid's parents and there's only so much that you can do for that child but those parents have a responsibility of parenting that child and they have to know that you can't just keep that to yourself now somebody that's not a christian or somebody that's not in the church listening to this they're going to disagree with me 100 percent, and you can disagree with me but speaking from godly wisdom from the um what we know about parenting and authority in the bible uh, that's something you cannot offer people complete immunity. You can offer them, you can tell me this, you can tell me anything, and I will help you work through who you need to talk to, how to approach them. I'll go with you, uh, maybe. Those are the kind of things that you can do to kind of bridge the gap between the hard place they're in right now and what they need to do ultimately, whether that's tell an authority figure or whatever. But you can't offer a complete immunity. So when people come to you and they say, hey, 
I need you to, I want to tell you something. I need to tell you something, but you can't tell anybody. You got to be like, well, uh, I don't know if I can agree to that. It depends on what you're going to tell me. Well, that's basically everything on accountability that I have to share. That actually took longer than I expected, but I hope that was helpful. If you have any more questions or maybe there are other situations, maybe it's not sexual sin, other situations that maybe the examples I touched on didn't really touch on your situation, you can reach out to me, ask me about them, and I'll do the best I can to answer them. Can't promise you a good answer, but maybe I can give you something. This is something that if we can build a culture of confession, a culture of accountability, and we're doing it right, this is one of the strongest tools in our toolbox for helping other people overcome sin and, and for ourselves. The person that's a, being an accountability partner, you need to be vulnerable. You got to walk the walk, man. And when you are vulnerable, not only to other people for your own sins, but to the person that you're helping, you're, you're vulnerable with them and you let them know that you're not a perfect person. You're not as strong maybe as what they think or maybe... It, your life is a little more than what they think, that helps them. That will help them normalize their situation, not normalizing it at the point where they become apathetic toward it, but helping just gives them encouragement and motivation. Okay, so this happened not that long ago, really. I was preaching on Proverbs. It was a Wednesday night, and I it was kind of some material that I had gotten up on the spur of the moment. That being said, when I get stuff up on last minute, I start saying things off the cuff that really aren't in my notes. And when I say things that aren't in my notes, I usually say something that I shouldn't have said. So I was talking about the immoral woman as a point within my sermon about Proverbs, and When I got to the immoral woman, I wanted to impress the point on my audience that, listen, this woman looks like an ordinary woman. We typically think of her as like a prostitute, somebody that works in the gentleman's club. And so I started describing, you know, uh, this is not just the woman that works in the gentleman's club down there on exit 35 that has the... And as I started describing it, uh, somebody said I started describing the wallpaper in the gentleman's club. No, I did not. But that gets the point across that I had to stop and interject and tell the audience. I saw some woman's eyes like lighting up, and I said, um, "Just to clarify, I've not actually been inside. I've not actually been inside a gentleman's club. I found it necessary to disclaim that." And everybody started laughing because obviously I was going into too much detail of this imaginary club. Um, anyway. It wasn't two seconds later. I look over to my right, and there's this line of young men that sit up front. And I look at them, I said, now, now, back to the point. What I was saying is, this woman, she's the one checking you out at Walmart. I mean, she's the one literally checking out your groceries. And when I said that, <laughs> uh, I didn't realize the pun on, a play on words I had just done. One of the ladies on the front bench, she, le- she legit almost fell on the floor, like fell face forward laughing. And then I started laughing. I could not control myself. Everybody else starts laughing. And my sermon stopped for a good one and a half minutes until I collected myself, and then we moved forward. But I have to say, even though it wasn't intentional, and I wouldn't say you know everything again if I were to do it over, it was pretty funny. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Come back next time for another, and subscribe to the channel. Tell people about it. Share it on Facebook, Instagram, whatever social media 
You have. Share the link to the episode and get the word out there. 